This is a Clark University podcast. Do we have to say we're back? Like, is this 90s hip hop album or something? We're like, guess who's back? Like, wow, you know. the censorship <laughs> is strong. No, no, I just, I just, I'm curious about language. Um, all right, Rox, take it away. <laughs> RFU contains grown up themes and occasional coarse language when they get carried away. Please take care while listening. Hi, professors. This is Abe W. Bush, alumnus of the Clark University History Department and former student in several astonishingly excellent screen studies classes. Recommended for you this week is the film A New Leaf from 1971, made in the U.S. and directed by Elaine May. The film stars Walter Matthau as Henry, a bratty high society gentleman, and Elaine May as Henrietta, the wealthy heiress Matthau intends to marry, then murder. I'm recommending this film for you because it has been one of my favorite comedies since childhood. The film is like a 1940s screwball comedy, but filtered through the cynicism and toxicity of the Vietnam War era. The humor is wry, dry, jet black, and totally bizarre. And the film presents its ideas about class and gender with subtlety and complete directness by turns. I'm excited to hear what you think. Enjoy the show. This. This. This is recommended for you. For you. For you. A podcast where Clark University Screen Studies professors watch and discuss films suggested by the. 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 Community! Well, I feel like I'm back. I don't know about the rest of you, but it's been a hot second. (laughs) (laughs) Soren's just been sitting on the Zoom screen all summer. (laughs) Like, he hasn't gone for a hike. He hasn't gone on vacation. He's not seen his kids. (laughs) No, I I didn't even realize I had them until you said it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god anyways yes welcome back to season four or series four of <laughs> recommended for you i'm rox sommer i'm soren sorensen i'm hugh mannon we are focusing on comedy films this series tonight we are discussing a new leaf written directed and starring the incomparable elaine may It is a quirky comedy about the very wealthy Henry Graham, played by Walter Matthau, who now finds himself funless, having lived well outside his very substantial means. Upon the advice of his valet, Harold, he decides to get married and takes out a $50,000 loan from his hateful uncle and makes a commitment to pay him back within six weeks. Henry goes on a series of dates with rich women he cannot stand before meeting Henrietta Lowell at a tea party. Henrietta, played by Elaine May, is a total mess, and we'll talk about how a little later. She spills her tea um, and acts generally in ways unbefitting of a woman of her station. Independently wealthy and socially isolated, she is a botanist. Harry cannot stand her either, just like all the other women, but somehow I sort of sense at least that he's drawn to her, and despite his protest to Harold that she's feral, among other things, is more often than not like exceedingly kind to her and marries her within a week. On their honeymoon, Henrietta discovers a new species of frond. Sorry, I'm getting in the academic weeds. But dum dum And instead of naming this new frond after herself, as is the custom in her field, she names it after Henry. Anyways, <laughs> Henry, meanwhile, has been busy re- doing research of his own, research into how to kill her. However, when given the chance to let her die in a genuine accident... Um, He chooses to save her, having perhaps learned responsibility or competency, what Harold calls his surprising talent, um, as well as maybe generosity from their brief partnership. 
sorry, that was a little longer than I expected. <laughs> it was beautiful. So I appreciate, you know, I liked your in the weeds. What was the pun again? In the weeds. In the weeds. In the academic weeds. In the academic weeds. And I just want to say weeds. that, and I don't think this has ever been said about this film, but it has to be said that this is a domestic film, but it's also a furrin film. <laughs> oh, no. Just a fern film. <laughs> it's a, it's Just a fern, fern language film. film. This is a film that's hugely dependent on the kind of quality and character of the two leads, um, needless to say. And there's just super bizarre kind of chemistry going on here and just a generally bizarre approach to acting. And maybe that's a good way in. Part of the thing here is I don't think it's all that necessary to talk about this film in terms of plot. Like what's going on with plot is just unhinged. It doesn't make (laughs) a lot of sense anyway. So like what, what appeals to us about this film is just how totally bizarre these performances are and just the overall kind of tweaked attitude that pervades every single thing in the film. And it's high. I think like a lot of really bizarre films, it's super consistent internally. Like the film is consistent to itself and that's what makes it great. Um, This is a film that's obviously got some, I didn't realize this, but apparently this is a film that's got a kind of cult standing. This was a film that was on the shelves of blockbuster video when I worked there in 1991 And of the innumerable films that I took home after work, sometimes five and six at a time in a Tarantino-esque manner, uh, (laughs) I never watched this. And I'd never even really given much thought to this film at all. Uh, At at its face, it just doesn't look like something that's that interesting. Um, I think it's really important to point out, uh, you know, sort of in reference to or in connection to my stupid fern pun, that the title (laughs) of this film is a is a play on words. Yes, it is. And, And it. I didn't get that until the last five minutes <laughs> of the film. I just felt like an idiot. Like, oh, a new leaf. I get it. She's looking, you know, as a right. botanist, she's out right. in the woods searching for ferns and she finds a new species. <laughs> and that's the joke of the title. And it's so dumb <laughs> that you almost like want to overlook it or disavow it. But anyway. Well, but the other meaning is still there. Yeah. I mean, it is also. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. If if you were to take the plot more seriously than the film asks you to, it is also about two people entering this new stage in life and changing their ways. So I think Abe in his voicemail talked about like this being like screwball comedies of the thirties and forties. It's interesting to think about the ways in which maybe Elaine May's performance uh, on its own, um, you know, resembles or doesn't uh, Catherine Hepburn or Claudette Colbert. Um, when I think of screwball, I think about like physicality and physical comedy and like falling and slapping and and there's not like a ton of that, but there was one scene. There, there is some physical it's comedy. Hers, really. It's hers. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a very physically active film like a screwball, um, but certainly the plot is is, is screwball esque. Um, but the one really physical comedy moment is on their honeymoon when she comes down. Um, you know, he's reading. <laughs> He has out on the desk like a book trying to figure out how to poison her um and he comes she comes down really awkwardly he's taking notes at that point he has like a like a moleskin he's like <laughs> yeah he's taking notes yeah he closes it tucks it away um and then like she's wearing this ridiculous like grecian nightgown but which always looks sort of awkward but she's also like in it totally wrong like she has her head and her arm in the armhole and he has to like help her 
like get redressed. And of course it's extra funny because it's their honeymoon and she's put this, we imagine she's put this on so that he can take it off. Right. And instead he helps her to, to, to entice him by, <laughs> by draping herself in the most amount of fabric in, in, yeah. in the history of humankind. So you have your, you have your head through the armhole. We have to get your head out, well, out of the armhole. See, both of the holes look very similar. Well, where, um, where is your head hole? Well, I thought my head was in it. Yeah, there's sort of this physicality where she's she's stuck and he's helping her and his little facial expressions are are pretty funny. But there's also this wittiness that I think is perhaps more indicative of the comedy as a whole and also my of what I know of Elaine May. And that's these lines in this scene that are like, see, both holes look very similar. And where's your head hole? And today, like if that those were jokes on Saturday Night Live, it would be like, or some sort of like, you know, like look in the camera. But instead, because of the mm-hmm. tone of this film, it could very easily fly over one's head, right? Like there's like multiple levels of mm-hmm. comedy happening at any one time. And so you could sort of be caught up yeah. in the physical comedy and the ridiculousness of like this scene's premise. But also if you're listening carefully, and listening like through the tone or in spite of the tone of their voices, there's this also really like kind of graphic <laughs> wordplay. Sexual yeah. tension, um, yeah. That reminds yeah. me a lot of her early bits, um, early sketches with Mike Nichols, where they were often playing at the sexual, but without actually saying anything. You know, there's a scene really late in the film where they're at the tent when they're camping out in the woods, and mm-hmm. she says something to the effect of, she, she looks all nonplussed and she's kind of like looking at her hands and she says, I spilled the honey. I spilled the honey. And I'm like, <laughs> what? And he says, From now on, dear. From now on, I will make the dinner. I'll make the dinner. What will I do? You'll eat. And it's it's like sexual sublimation that's so weird and abstract that I'm not even sure I get it. Like I know that this is something like sexually yeah. supercharged, but unlike the the scene with the hole the holes in the clothes, like it's, it's it's much less literal and it's much more sublimated and disconnected to the point that like it's it's just like pure abstraction. Like you know that what you know that this stands in for a sex scene, but you can't really figure out how. Mm. And there's nothing in the film. Mm. There's nothing yeah. in the film that approaches a sex scene, right? Other than the taking off of the toga, where he he makes some line about like I can't. How does he end that scene? <laughs> when we sh- well, they, then he asks her which bed. There's this like very 1950s right. style, two beds next to yes. each other, and he's like, which bed do you prefer? And she's like, this one's fine. And she, he's like, okay, so you will sleep in that one. I'll sleep in this one. And when we share a bed, it'll be in that one. And I was like, wait, what? Oh. <laughs> it's so weird. It's so yeah. Weird. He's like, he's like, when when there's lovemaking, we'll do it in your bed. It's like very, and, and yet this movie is rated G and your kind of mind goes right there, which is like, I, yeah, it's the, the, the honey thing to me. I, I almost like was, and then when we were talking about like before we started recording about the, the possibility of there being deleted scenes out there in the vault somewhere, I thought for sure there was a bear scene. Uh-huh. I was like, you know, what is she preparing uh-huh. with honey? I, my, my mind went in the right in the G-rated direction, which is like there's going to be a screwball scene with a bear who that clearly was filmed on a different day in a different location or right. something. We do see in his fantasy a fantasy of her being mauled by a bear. Yeah, so that's why I was I was kind of like I made those connections that are more G-rated, but but it certainly does. That has all those innuendos and all those all those kind of all that uh, double entendre or, or sexual tension for sure. Um, I think, but I think she also 
but she immediately has physical comedy going on with with the spilling of the tea multiple yeah. times and in the, in the, at the party and co- her glasses are constantly falling off, which I found to be oh, yes. incredibly. I, I just loved that. I was waiting for her glasses to fall off every scene, and he would sometimes catch them and put them back on, or, or she, you know. But he and, and it wasn't even sweet at that point. <laughs> he was just like killing time before he murders her, basically. Like that was that was you. Were, so when you're hearing those conversations, you're like, oh, he's actually planning to end her life in some way. And so it's this. It is. I think. I think as um, as as Abe put it. Um, I think he said jet black and bone dry. I mean, it's like that's it is. It's like a black comedy, but also the the comedy is very dry and very matter of fact in the delivery. So I wanted to just. Super- <laughs> quickly back up and just for those who haven't seen it when we say that she he has a fantasy fantasy of her being mauled by a bear like that's that's sort of true but like what we see is a fantasy of a woman being mauled by <laughs> quite literally a guy in a very fake bear costume which is a, a very different thing right this is like, right. like the fakiest most nonsensical thing you've ever seen but i think that also connects with kind of the screwball comedy vibe and i, I think what abe's saying about this being you know, kind of like a, a weirdly out of time species of screwball comedy is dead on the money. But I think the way you get into that most strongly is through the weird approach to language. So it's like what's said in this film is highly repetitive, very strange, lots of stra- oddball repetitions, right? Intercostal clavicle. Where's the intercostal clavicle? <laughs> yes. Which is the thing they say a hundred times in bringing up baby. <laughs> and it's this nonsense yeah, language yeah. or it's like, you know, miracle of Morgan's Creek when they keep referring to this per- they, they keep looking for this uh, military officer named Ratsky Watsky that kind of linguistic play is all over the place in this film and I just wanted to supply a couple of, of examples and sort of see what you think about this but um, to me yeah so the 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 thing about the the holes in the toga is is really there like it, it's on the money the the initial thing about how his Ferrari is suffering from some sort of problem in the engine. And people say over and over, there's a lot of carbon in the valves. Um, <laughs> then there's that guy who's apparently a friend of his who's, who's, who repeatedly says, my apple trees had crown gall, but I sprayed and the crown gall is gone. And he says that like three times. And it's just kind of bludgeoning us yeah. with this weird repetition. And, and again, like that's just all over the place in this film. Not to mention just, you know, stuff like who's old guy Lowell? Who's old guy? Who's old guy <laughs> low? <laughs> Which, when they say it, sounds like who's old guy low? Who's old guy low? Who's old guy low? Who's old guy low? It's like what? Right. Like what is happening here? So language is transforming into transforming into nonsense. And, yeah. And to me, that's like a classic. You know, if you want to pinpoint that something is in the tradition of screwball comedy, that's a good place to go. Yeah, and they're also, you know, satirizing the way certain people speak, um, meaning like largely like the wealthy New England folks. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not by any chance related to the Boston Hitlers. <laughs> no, we're from. Gl- <laughs> no, we're from. Gl- no, we're from Glencoe. And, and the line that precedes it, when when the woman, the host, very casually introduces. Dr. and Mrs. Daryl Hitler. Daryl. Daryl. I know. That's great. (laughs) But like all of this sort of is set into motion in, for lack of a better word, uh, that this like meet cute scene that we've been like referencing where um, after all these dates, uh, Henry finds himself at this bizarre tea party um, and Henrietta is there too. She, uh, she's not engaged? No. She's a botanist. She teaches it somewhere. Writes a lot of papers on fronds. 
for periodicals. Doesn't ride either. Doesn't entertain. Doesn't even talk, as far as I can tell. I think she's about the most isolated woman I've ever met. Rich, single, isolated. She's about to drop that teacup. And so we already have our first, like, messiness, like, literal, physical... Um, she's about to drop that teacup <laughs> and then she does. Mm-hmm. And then when he goes over to help her, um, you know, she knocks over his and then she gets a talking to from the hostess and then he, you know, rips her to shreds. Um, and it's his like first act of chivalry um, because he's like lasered in on her as a potential wife. So I was wondering if we could get a line read of that. Of, of, that of his chewing of, of- of Gloria Cunliffe <laughs> is a word that I hesitate to say out loud. Gloria Cunliffe says, you son of a bitch, which is always a funny thing to hear in any context. <laughs> and Henry Graham says, does somebody want to do a line? I'll, I'll be happy to do one. I think we yeah, should. All I have, I, I might have a sentence missing, but I have, Madame, I've seen many examples of perversion in my time. But your erotic, erotic obsession, obsession with your carpet your is probably the is most probably grotesque, the most grotesque and certainly the most boring, boring I have ever encountered. <laughs> I just thought it was such a, like, you know, it, it, it. So obviously Elaine May penned this, the, yes. and it's it's kind of like this erudite socialite speak, but being wielded in this super bizarre way to talk about the fact that the woman that he's going to try to seduce and then kill <laughs> keeps spilling stuff on the carpet. But by the way, right prior to this. As an act of defiance, he takes his own drink and spills it on the carpet as a kind of act of solidarity. And he does this in other scenes as well. She keeps spilling things and his way into her heart is to spill more things, which is just yes. zany. Well, he talks about his own rug in this derisive way. Like, do you think I care about this hairy floor covering or something like that? Like he's, you know, so he's, he's, he's even trying to make her feel better about it when, when nobody else is present, which is very sweet. Um, you know, one thing that I, I found to be really strange and I, and I, I'm sort of fascinated by this, but I can't think of lots of other examples. Maybe you can help me. Walter Matthau appears to be old in every single photograph and, and film he's, he's, he's been in. Um, and he's of course known for, for my time in the video store for like grumpy old men, you know, for being quite literally very old toward the end of his career in the nineties. I looked up that his first, his first film appearance, he was in, he was in his early thirties. So he was born in 1920 and this is in 1972. So he's lit quite literally 52 years old when he's filming this. And then on different occasions, he's referred to as young or aging young his uncle derisively refers to him as being he's he's an age he's a, an aging young person or something like that the, the ancient actor that feels that way to me is wc is wc fields right so he, w. C. like yeah, i think math right, yeah. sort of like an updated version of wc fields with a little martin short mixed in or something and it's so there's a physical aspect yeah. to it yeah. but it's mainly his kind of curmudgeonly quality and the fact that he yeah you know a lot of kind of facial acting but like he 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 has that sort of brash quality that that kind of like he's just going to say what he's going to say and he commands every scene that he's in the deep mm. booming voice um and he's just amazing like amazing yeah. like i, I don't uh, it, it's hard to imagine anybody else playing this role and that's kind of a testament to how great he was but my memory of him i think is from bad news bears right wasn't he the coach in bad, bad news bears Oh yeah, um, and so yeah. which is extremely problematic, film deeply problematic film that I saw at the theater when I was about <laughs> nine or ten uh, with my Boy Scout troop. Yeah, so but so even though he's not taking like pratfalls in this film, there is like what he is doing with his body is this like very stiff, rigid, 
uh, thing not totally different than Cary Grant and bringing up baby where so that her sort of <laughs> slovenly is such a strong word but you know her her messiness her her not only spills but crumbs like the, it becomes this thing where like he and uh yes. <laughs> his his valet have to like make sure she's brushed off of crumbs every time she heads to camp she's been decrumbed decrumbed right. um but like all her her messiness and physical all over the place this uh is sort of like very much balanced out or contrasted with his his rigid posture and that suit and the hand in the suit but i found her totally charming oh That's my the god thing. so i don't th- i don't know what's wrong with me i mean this I all just reminds this all i mean i knew <laughs> i knew who it was obviously and i love her but like i also was kind of thinking about diane keaton and annie hall oh, yeah. uh, just for obvious reasons i think um and then even like julia roberts and pretty woman like this idea of like two these people coming from different places but the guy is sort of a schlub in a way like my you know apologies to the male leads in these films but they're not really the dazzling feature of this these films um and i and i feel like even though walter Matthau is really um he's in most of the scenes if not all of the scenes um it's really kind of about him um you know she kind of steals the show and when you read about it um you know if you read about anything written about it now or anything written about it even then it's kind of her film because she went and directed it as well um which i think is great i just it's i think it's just sort of unbelievable that she she almost seems like she should be the main character and then when you meet her oh she's a botanist well that's cool like tell me more about that (laughs) it's like i i find her appealing like you know what i mean and it's she's supposed to be sort of you know homely or you know and she's sloppy or whatever and she spills things but yeah no i'm totally in love with her (laughs) isn't she kind of like grandmother of the hot nerd trope i mean she's kind of got this like totally like dorky quality right so isn't that isn't that what mm. she's after, both as an actor and, and as a screenwriter? Yes, and and I mean it. There's a way that like my rom com references, other than like screwballs, are like much more modern. You know, like are like '90s, and it's almost like she's into like yeah. it's. It reminds watching her in this role reminds me of Rachel Lee Cook's character, and she's all that, and like the sort of trope that they are certainly parroting in that film. When she come, you know, like she takes, she gets, you know, her glasses get removed and her hair yeah. gets let down, and she walks in slow motion down the staircase, and the hot guy, I can't can't believe how hot the nerd he's been like bet <laughs> to go on a date with, in fact, is. Um, but yeah. like she, this, yeah. these are like already like I guess percolating tropes by the 70s yeah. such that she's able to so effectively put her finger on on the pulse of of these rom-com I, I think like what that is is it's a trope in evolution and and so we don't get the taking off the glasses and shaking out the hair scene like that we do we, we do well we get mm. we get a uh we get a joke on it in the very end she loses her glasses in the river and comes uh, up with wet hair yeah and it's not like it's not overdone <laughs> yeah. but she very she does look yeah drastically different than she does the entire movie yeah and then there's great sort of double entendre there so it's like are, are you sure you're okay with this or something and, and you and the audience is like you mean you're still alive and yeah. he's like you mean me teaching history it's like it, it's like the, the punishment that's worse than you know being poor is like going to work at a, at a college at a university you know and he like teaching teaching history as an adjunct because he has a ba in history like that was just unbelievable i was i couldn't help but also think about like and th- these would probably be, you know, if I if I had to just go to the, like the one superficial reference, it would be like knocked up or, for, you know, for instance, which is like, I, I don't know why I was thinking forward of 1972, not backwards of 1972 yeah. when I was watching no, this. And too. so I was thinking about like the kind of 
and I, I didn't again I, I feel bad that I might have referred to Richard Gere as being schlubby he's not um, <laughs> but, but um, he's certainly not as dazzling or sparkling as Julia Roberts right so but but if Seth Rogen were in a like a remake of this film of a new leaf oh. like who would the female lead be I'd like to see a Beanie Feldstein oh I'm trying to think if there's someone else it very well could be oh yes I have two contenders I know how I would audition I would audition mm. Beanie Feldstein and Jenny Slate oh that's good I totally get that. Ooh, yeah. I like that. Anyways, she's a botanist. Can I can, like? Can we talk about how she's a botanist? Absolutely. And like, I, like it's it's amazing, and it's part of the meet cute. Like he's getting the rundown, and he's double checking. She doesn't have any parents, and he's like, she's not engaged. And the guy says, no, she's a botanist. <laughs> <laughs> she's a botanist. Right, self-evident. Yeah. Oh my that's, god! Like, like obviously, she could possibly be engaged because she's a botanist, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and instead, and instead of her, and instead of her getting the like Eliza Doolittle treatment, um, and like being made up into a proper woman, he does like help her with the crumbs and this, but like she keeps spilling, she keeps crumbling, and she keeps on like finding those fronds. Yep. And like ultimately, he joins her. And her pursuits. And I know, like, I don't want to, like, make too strong, like, a feminist argument, like, at face value, because this film isn't meant to be read, like, at face value. Like, the humor is supposed to be, like, on a tilt. Like, you should watch with your head sideways. Like, so I don't want to, like, make too much of, like, the feminism of the plot. Because, like you said, it's more about the comedy and the performances. But it still is really... I don't know. Like, I don't know. It tickles me. I, I think there's, I mean, I think there's something, something to be gained from truly like buying into this premise of reading the whole film as a kind of updated screwball comedy. That's all about the wordplay. And when we get to the end of the film, you know, she's been, she's a botanist. This is a critical plot line. Um, earlier in the film, we see her literally roped to, a, she's apparently tied <laughs> herself with a large rope to a tree so that she can hang out over a waterfall or some sort of cliff situation. And she's like reaching yeah. down over and she grabs this uh, fern that she, or this frond, I've never even heard that term before now, but th- this, this fern, a that palm she frond, gra- you never well, heard of that? palm frond, but not a fern frond. I know I have ferns all over the place here. <laughs> I've never ever used the word frond out loud. So like, I guess the question in my mind is, is this joke about, you know, a new leaf and, you know, the stupid pun I made at the beginning, like, is that maybe what's driving the bus? And I'm just going to float this and see what you think. When Graham finds Henrietta's special fern by the riverbank at the film's end. So he finds her special species. He's letting her drown. Letting her drown. He finds the, the fern. And we recognize that fern from the scene before when she grabs the same fern and takes it back with her to civilization. And when she, when we see him find the same fern at the fern at the end of the film, it's a relief, a relief. Oh. oh wow! Get it? <laughs> yeah, I do. It takes me a few times, but dear I, listeners, I'm, we even, promise we didn't all get really high before. Recording. No, I don't. I don't even do that. Relief. You think that is? <laughs> it, honestly, it's it, like this film is like so silly at the level of language that I almost can't get past it. Like, so we've got all these art objects that are called out in the end credits in the film. And it seems like the only reason that those art objects exist on screen is so that Matthau can say, oh, no, Harold, she's unscrewing my Montrezini because this little girl is <laughs> taking apart his art object. 
and so, <laughs> yes. you know, it, it's it's almost like you know how the Coen brothers uh, name characters, all these, I mean, like Barton Fink being a totally obvious example of this, but yeah. all the characters in mm-hmm. all their films have these completely bizarre names that kind of tickle our funny bone. Also, my favorite moment making fun of wasps was the water skiing scene <laughs> where he's like um, hanging off a boat with this terrible woman who's like... I have found peace in Connecticut. After all, <laughs> what else is there? I am human. I am a woman, Henry. A woman, Henry. I want, I need, I desire, I love. That is what a woman is born for. <laughs> and that's the scene that, if anything, pushes this film in the direction of something other than a G rating. It's the scene yes. where he's where she's standing in front of him and her breasts are like at eye yeah. level. And, and what does he say? I want to give... Love. Darling. No, don't let them out. So I, I, I think it is really interesting that despite all the sexual innuendo and, and sex jokes that the film is doing, uh, largely at the level of language, uh, it is a very non-sexual yeah, <laughs> uh, it, film. And it's, uh, it's the old line about screwball comedy, the sex comedy without sex. I think I think part of the difference with Screwball though is that we feel the sexual tension in their physicality of their comedy so like in the ways that they're running into each other and falling down hills together like so we there there's an eroticism brought to, like to to the slapstick but here I don't I don't know you know uh there's I I I am oddly moved in a few moments around the fronds, but like, I still don't, it's not like I feel a sexual chemistry between the two of, there's a chemistry, but it's, it's not sexual. Right. It's oppositional or something. Yeah, no, I I agree. Yeah. There's it's tension. It's because he, he doesn't want to have sex or at least that's what he's trying to sort of give off at, at, in the moments when we see them together. And, and, you know, the film's ultimate metaphor for me is the mosquito repellent. And there's that confusion yes. in the tent as to whether Z, Z11 is an attractant or a repellent. A repellent. And in some ways, like, the whole film is, like, confused about what's attractive and what's, what's repulsive. Like, the film, like, deliberately, yes. like, sort of creates a world in which those terms don't make any sense and everybody's confused about it. I mean, it might be very, like, waspy to, like, not show sexual chemistry. Like, yeah, we're getting it through the metaphor of the mosquitoes and the fact that he finds her so repellent is in fact indicative that he's very much attracted to her. Learning that this was rated G quite after the fact, I think I would rather watch a rated G movie, pretty much any rated G movie from 1972 than like 1971, than any rated PG-13 movie from 2022. Like it just, there's so there's so much going on in this. It's almost like watching a pre-code movie or a, like a code era movie. It's, it's coming in the wake of like the, like, postcode era so like 1967 is when we get bonnie and clyde it's when we get the graduate by her her ex lover and ex uh comedian team member um and so i feel like it's very deliberate to go the super hyper desexualized uh route with a rom-com but i but i just i found it to be yeah it, it it almost is yeah in the way that code era movies 
had their own kind of subversiveness to them. Like this, this has that too. And I think for it to be a G rated film, like, I feel like I could show this to my kid and he would, he would get that there's something here happening that he's not supposed to understand. And that's, I think that's exciting for a kid to see something like that. And yet we use these, these ratings in this way that aren't really effective. I mean, it, it does, this, this rating doesn't really make any sense in a, in a way going back and looking at it, which is great. I think. I mean, Abe mentioned that he saw it first as a kid. As a kid. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe I, I, I similarly to, to Hugh um, worked at a video store and, and um, the video store definitely had this film and I never watched it. Same thing. I, I'm, I'm sort of shocked and, and, and ashamed. So we need to come around to would we RFU? And I think that this is, I mean, it's a super easy film to recommend and sort of say, oh, yeah, yeah, everybody yeah. should check this out. And it's, it's really cool. But like, I, I think a question that I might pose to people is, you know, if you think the word frond is funny, you will probably love this film. If you think a wealthy man cutting a banana in half with a knife and fork is funny, you will probably love <laughs> oh, this film. They're sweating a lot. And, and oh, scene, my God. Uh, so make sure you're okay for, for no reason. There's no even there's no aside about the air conditioning not working nope. or, or the windows being closed or anything. No, that like is that. some like they are non-diegetic sweat. Right? That's them. flop <laughs> sweat from the lights. And it's just all over. This is the sweatiest film I've ever yeah. seen. Like uh, short of cool yeah. hand Luke. This is the sweatiest film of all time. <laughs> well, that <laughs> just makes really it sound a lot sexier than it, in fact, is. Yeah, um, but true. in a good way. It's very unsexy, <laughs> but in the best of ways. So I, I recommend it highly. Thumbs up. On Golden Frond. Two thumbs uh, up. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Abe. Thanks, Abe. Thanks, Abe. I don't know how Andrew's cut of this episode is going, but if you hear how silly we are tonight, that is an indication of how heartily we recommend this film. Bone dry, you. jet black. <laughs> She's a botanist. RFU out. <laughs> RFU Meanwhile, out. I'll, I'll see you guys next and I'll put my arm around your shoulder and I'll be like, listen, Frond. <laughs> <laughs> the Frond Zone. Recommended for you is a Clark University podcast. All opinions expressed are those of the faculty participants. If you'd like to recommend a film for an upcoming episode of RFU, email us at rfu at clarku.edu, or you can leave a voicemail with your suggestion at 508-798-4355. That's 508-798-4355. The Recommended for You podcast is produced by Andrew Hart for Clark University. Music by Jimmy Jackson. RFU logo by A.J. Simmons. It's a quirky comedy about the very wealthy Henry Graham, star uh, played by Walter Matthau. Is that how you say that? I never know how to pronounce it. Tau? Matthau. Matthau. Did you say yes. Matthau? Sorry. That's the fancy, that's the French way to put Mathau. that. Matthau. I even listened to fish. like record. Okay, I'll start over again. Math thou. <laughs> you also said incomparable. I think it's incomparable. I'm not. I'm not trying to nitpick. Um, all right, in- incomparable. It is a quirky comedy about the very wealthy Henry Graham, played by Walter Matthau. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can we just Matthau? <laughs> I love how I love how the first pronunciation was like weird, and then the second pronunciation was from outer space. It was like, like self-assured, Mattel? though. Yeah, yeah. How community? <laughs> this is going to be a riveting after credit sequence. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs>